0: In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Hebrews, chapter 6.
1: But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched. Unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. They actually were giants, some of them. And there we saw the giants. The word is actually Nephilim. The sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. So we were in their sight. You and I tend to look at that as an exaggeration. When you start studying the Nephilim, they're not exaggerating by much. So you're talking 9-foot, 13-foot kinds of characters. That's a little rough to do hand-to-hand with. So the Nephilim. This in verse 33 is where the word Nephilim actually appears, not just Genesis 6. Well, that brings us to Genesis chapter 14. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. They'll get their chance. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? They said to one another, Let us make a captain, and let us return unto Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. This is a dark day. Dark day. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jehunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Joshua and Caleb, t- toward their, that's a typical gesture in Jewishness of, of, of despair. To, tear your, to rent your clothes. And they speak unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Gutsy guys. But it's two guys against ten, huh? I love what J. and McGee says. This is why he doesn't believe in committees and church work. <laughs> but all the congregation bade stone them with Stones. Wow. That's sort of bearing a grudge, isn't it? And all the congregation bade them st- stoned them with stones. The glory of the Lord appeared in the temp- tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. That must have got their attention. The Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? You know, we could stop here and just enumerate the signs. You know, the ten plagues in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, go on and on and on and on. I will smite them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make of thee a greater nation mightier. He's going to start over. Let's scratch them. He did that back in Genesis 6, didn't he? Started the world over with eight people. He's ready to do it again. I'll smite them with pestilence and I will What? That's an interesting word people miss that word I will disinherit them they're saved, they're going back to Egypt, they'll die in the wilderness we'll make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they, now I love, this is, the, this is the part you have to read with a real New York Jewish accent I can't do that <laughs> Moses said to the Lord then the Egyptians will hear it <laughs> for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them and they will tell it to their inhabitants of this land For they have heard that thou, Lord, art among his people and that thou, Lord, art seen face to face and that thy cloud standeth over them and that thou goest before them by time in a pillar of a cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. See what Moses is doing? He's appealing to the Lord's pride. (laughs) Now if thou kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which He swore unto them, therefore He hath slain them in the wilderness. This is Moses mimicking the propaganda that will accrue if God goes forward with this plan. <laughs> Don't I? I think it's some of these conversations with Moses are an absolute riot when you realize what's going on. He goes on to say, and now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great according as thou hast spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Notice what God does in response to Moses' prayer. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. So they're forgiven. Got it? Despite all that, they're forgiven for this lack of faith. I have pardoned according to thy word. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. But, that's an adversative connector. However, and it's not just and, it's but. I, I, I pardon according to the word, but. And he goes on. Because all these men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me all these ten times, and have not hearkened unto my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. God swore which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. This is a key verse in Numbers 14. Surely they shall not see the land, which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them be, uh, that provoked me to see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit in him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Now the Malachite's candidates dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, As ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb and the son of Jehunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Interesting repeated reference to the fact that God swore the presence of that, that um, inheritance, but they're not going to get it. I swear. Interesting. But your little ones which he said should fall prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil generation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die." You know, it's interesting. You may recall back in chapter 3 of the epistle of Hebrews, we touched on this. In verse 17, 18, 19. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? But, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Again, I want you to pick up unto whom swear he that they should not enter. This ability, this commitment they should be dispossessed is an oath that God made. And he's not going to change his mind. He will not repent of that oath. You with me so far? Let's continue and finish up numbers here. And the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up slander upon the land. Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. So the other 10 spies died right there. Didn't take 40 years for them. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jehunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, they live still. And Moses told these things unto all the people of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. They rose up early in the morning and got them up to the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up again to the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. Now, see, the point is, the people changed their mind. They repented. They wanted to go in. But it was too late now. Got the picture? The people changed their mind. God didn't. God is the one that didn't repent because he swore an oath. So the people suffered defeat. They, you know, they, they, went on, they, they went ahead, by the way, went in and got clobbered. He told them not to. They went anyway and got clobbered. God is jealous about sharing his glory. Those to whom he shows great and mighty works, and his glory should take heed. Now, they were uh, uh, accountable for all these things they saw. If they were accountable for the things they saw, how much more we, or let's say the the, the Epistle to the Hebrews, these people had seen much; They're accountable even more. But here's the point that everybody seems to miss, in my view, and I'm, a, you know, this is not a common view, so this could be wrong. You have to weigh it yourselves. The impossibility of repentance. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6, may not be on the individual's part, it's on God's part. God's the one that cannot repent swore sworn oath. It's not the individual's. Later on, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, we're going to find the Hebrews writer saying, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, he's going to talk about Esau as a reference, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance. They were talking about Esau. He found no place of repentance. He repented himself. He was sorry he sold the birthright. It's too late. And he tried to get Jacob to repent, and he couldn't. It's already done. It's a done deal. Esau found no place of repentance. I'm pointing out to you that the writer to Hebrews... Regards the repentance, not as you and I, we always think of a sinner repenting. No, repentance means a change of mind. And here, the source of the blessing is the one that could not repent. Jacob, in this sense, God in the other case. And uh, metanoia, a change of mind. It, 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 it's it's a, one of the appearance of repentance. It's interesting in... Uh, Genesis uh, 27. And Isaac his father said to him, Who art thou? Remember when when this is when uh, 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 Jacob had tricked Isaac and gotten the blessing by the uh, chicanery. Isaac his father said to him, Who art thou? He said, I'm thy son, thy firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled very exceedingly because he realized he'd been cheated and said, Who? Where is he that taketh the venison and brought it me? I've eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. Is, it not, is he not rightly named Jacob, which means supplanter, for he hath supplanted me these two times, he took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. He said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered to Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord. All his brethren have I given him for servants. With corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now for thee, my son? He said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his high voice and wept. And Isaac's father answered and said unto them, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and thy dew of heaven from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass that when thou shalt have dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Wow. Back to Romans 6. Let's finish up the chapter. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns, and obviously know, see, the stuff that grows properly is a blessing. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Uh-oh. See, people expect rain to, and, and to bring forth herbs, and, and the result is... But the result of fruitlessness will be rejection and disapproval. That's exactly what's being set up here. The timing for this approval or rejection will be at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the real subject of this whole epistle. Whose end is to be burned. And with that, we'll turn a quick refresh on 1 Corinthians 3. Important passage. 1 Corinthians 3. We'll start about verse 8 and carry it to the end, to 10. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me, a wise master builder, I, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he built thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, stubble, there's two different groups there every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try, every man's work of what sort, of it's not the guy getting burned, it's his work that's being put to the test and the, te- the, the, the works are clustered into two categories, gold, silver precious stones, they're inflammable, wood, hay stubble are flammable. So every man's work will be put into the fire, and if it survives, that's good. If it doesn't, it's going to be burned. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, that is the day of of, of judgment, seat of Christ, shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire. The guy isn't being burned up. His his work is being tested. Then the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not the man, his work of what sort it is. You get the difference? Don't misunderstand here. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Key verse. Because it discerns the difference between being saved and the rewards that you get for faithfulness. Even the ones that fail to be faithful are still saved, but they miss the opportunity to get rewarded with all kinds of neat things. The work is being tested by fire. When they say baptism by fire, that's what they're talking about. The work's being tested here. Work shall be burned. But he himself shall be saved, even if he loses. He himself shall be saved, yet as by fire. Now words, like a a refugee from, like like these people in California. Went to work one day, came home that evening, found their house burned to the ground. Everything they owned, all their family pictures, all the... gone. They they didn't get burned, they weren't in the fire, but they lost everything. They, this, he'll be saved, yet so as by fire, like being a refugee from a fire. Okay. The, these are believers, their justification is not at issue. Judgment, not mercy, is going to emanate from the Bema Seat. We're not looking for mercy there, we're looking for Judgment. It's an appraisal of work. And with a just recompense of reward for works, it'll be positive and negative as appropriate. And there's lots of scriptures on this. It's worth your digging into that, go through the notes and studying them. Let's continue to finish the chapter. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. See, these are things that accompany salvation. They're not the basis of salvation. Your works are not a basis of your salvation. Christ's work is 100% of it. But there are works that can accompany it in terms of blessings. Believers who press on to maturity receive God's blessing for rewards for the Messianic kingdom because... They have lived a useful life with the Lord. I love the way Dan often asks group, What have you done for Christ's sake? Sounds a little irreverent, but it gets people's attention. What have you done for Christ's sake? We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope, even unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, there is more to have than just entry into heaven. Your justification stamps your passport for entry. Great. But there's more to it available. If you have the patience to inherit the promises, and there are many. Which promises are optional? Check it out. Check the overcomer. The kinds of things that the overcomer... There are seven different promises of the overcomers in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Here's God swearing again. Interesting. Saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. He could swear by no greater. The famous passage in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. We think that's the shield that's kept judgment on America because of God swearing this oath. Abraham exercised 25 years of patient endurance to get the promise of Isaac. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed by an oath. Interesting how the writer hammers this here is that by confirming it with an oath it makes that unchangeable. And God has sworn that if they don't do this and that, they won't inherit. The oath renders it immutable, unchangeable, not opening, to, it's not open to repentance. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, that he might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that was set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth unto that within the veil. Abraham was 75 years old. God promised him a son. And the promise contained the content of the covenant. The promise was an oath given to them when Abraham was 99 years old. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This last verse in chapter 6 now is the bridge from all of this to chapter 7, we're going to enter into the strong meat, we're going to enter into what on earth is this b- the big deal with Jesus as a high priest. And so this, this is where he picks up where he left off in verse 10 of chapter 5. This whole episode, the whole warning, this whole third warning has been the subject of our digression today. Now it's interesting that he previously spent the previous five verses, four verses, 11, 12, 13, 14, four verses, as why the readers were not ready to understand what we're going to get into at in the next session. So next session, I want you to study chapter 7 very carefully. And so he's, he's urging every one of us to press on to maturity. And he's now ready, that writer is now ready to expound on what on earth is involved with the Melchizedekian order. The order of Melchizedek. And the chapter, we're going to discover when we get into chapter 7, by the way, He's speaking about the priests here, but he makes an interesting remark that I caught when I was preparing for the next session. I thought I should include that here. For those priests that were made without an oath, speaking of the Aaronic priests, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of come It's interesting how all through the scripture we find the Lord swearing an oath as foreclosing any alternatives. By God doing that, He eliminates any possibility to change His mind. And that may be what verse 6 may also be going with. It's impossible to renew them to repentance, not the individual, God to change His mind about their inheriting if they continue that way. It's not their salvation's lost, it's their inheritance that's at issue. So I thought you might find that interesting. The Lord swear and will not repent, contrasting the ironic priest with the kingdom of the everlasting priest. And so, change His mind. Okay, next session. We're going to develop the ultimate priesthood in chapter seven. That'll, that theme will endure all the way to 10 in various ways. And uh, this is the very material that you were not strong enough to receive until now. Okay? So it stands for a closing word of prayer. Strange stuff. lots of different views. I've shared some views that you probably won't find in the commentaries. D- doesn't mean they're right. I'll let you let your own study be your guide, but check the scripture. In any case, understand that you're secure because you're secure in Christ because He did it all. The only thing that's at risk, and it is at risk, is your own inheritance which will depend entirely on your faithfulness. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank You that You've loved us so much as to give us Jesus Christ and further, that You've provided so many great and precious promises for the faithful. Help us, Father. Father, to be faithful. Help us, Father, to prior, reprioritize our lives in the light of your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, that you've gone to such extremes in our behalf. So, Father, we would just pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit and through your Word, you would reignite each one of us in a new appetite, a new hunger to serve you, to respond to your calling. Help us, Father, to take every thought captive. Help us, Father, to focus all of our activities in the light of the coming kingdom. We thank you, Father, for your word, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for this time together as we commit ourselves afresh into your hands with absolutely no reservations whatsoever In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Hebrews. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-KHOUSE1.